Welcome to today's episode of Ask Me Anything, where we're answering questions that were specifically asked by you. First question from Veronica. She says, my husband wants to have sex all the time. I don't always have the sex drive he does. I don't know if it's because I'm tired from work and the kids, but I don't think I could keep up with his sex drive. We have sex once a month these days, and it used to be once a week. So I don't know if there's anything I can do to fix this because I don't like disappointing him, but I am exhausted every time he wants sex. So some of the best moments in life are spontaneous, unplanned, but for men dealing with moderate to severe erectile dysfunction or ED, preparing for intimacy can rob you and your partner of spontaneity. The joy of living in the moment. Now you can restore that spark in your relationship with the AMS 700 implant, a clinically proven permanent solution designed for your satisfaction and your partner's. It's the number one physician-preferred implant. It's built to look and feel natural. Happy partners agree. 92% of patients and 96% of their partners report sexual activity with the implant excellent or satisfactory. It gives you the ability to respond to your partner's wishes in the moment, not minutes or hours later. The AMS 700. No pills, no injections, no waiting. For more information, visit edcure.org slash podcast. That's E-D-C-U-R-E dot O-R-G slash P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Sponsored by Boston Scientific. This is a great question, Veronica. And generally speaking, this is not uncommon. It is actually very, very common for there to be what we call mismatched desires or desire discrepancy between couples. And what that means is that someone in the relationship will have a high sex drive while others will have a low sex drive. And so ultimately, what can you do about it? Well, one, of course, this is bothering you. In some cases, in partners, it doesn't bother them. And in which case, it doesn't matter. You don't need to do anything about it. It is completely normal, particularly in long-term relationships, to have mismatched sexual desire. What can you do about it? Well, one is I think the fact that you care and want to have more sex is valuable and you should tell your partner that you really want to do this and that you're interested and that will also tell your partner that this is something you want to do for them. Also, when you are thinking about sex and we always think about it being like this very spontaneous thing, like you see your partner, you get turned on and just spontaneously sex happens. Now, that's great. But in reality, in our busy lives, it doesn't always work out that way. You wait till the end of a dinner date and you're really full and you're not in the mood to have sex or it's finally at the end of the day and you're exhausted and you don't really have the energy or desire at the point when you're super exhausted. So I often tell couples to schedule time for intimacy. We schedule time to go to the gym. We schedule time to do certain activities, maybe work out, maybe catch up with our friends do other things, but we never schedule time with our partners. We just expect it to miraculously happen. So it's important to really say four days from now, we have an evening free where maybe the kids can be occupied or maybe we can really just dedicate to being together. And that will be time for you to actually spend together intimately, be together, touch each other, remember that what feels nice, what feels good, and the desire will grow. That's what's called responsive desire. 
It is desire that comes in response to certain activities, whereas it's not spontaneous. And that's okay because spontaneous desire is not what happens all the time for every single person. Responsive desire is much more common. So you actually have to spend time together and realize, oh, wait, yeah, I like this. Oh, wow, I'm actually enjoying this. Oh, I might be feeling turned on. And then slowly it can turn into having sex. But again, not having pressure on we must have sex, more about having time for intimacy and then seeing where it goes. Great answer. Great answer. I'll try out some of those tips myself. <laughs> Got it. Next question comes in from Poughkeepsie, New York. Harry from Poughkeepsie, New York. Is it normal to start using the bathroom in the middle of the night by the time you're in your 40s? I am 44 and I've been having to pee every other night for the last six months and don't know if this is going to be like this for the rest of my life. Urinating at night or nocturia is the term we use, can be due to many different things. The most common ones are over, at least in the urology world, are overactive bladder or an enlarged prostate. Now, at the age of 40, these conditions are less common, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist. So what that means is that people can have a bladder that is overactive, meaning it's squeezing before it's full, giving you that sensation of an urge needing to go to the bathroom. So that is what wakes you up at night. And then you go to the bathroom and you urinate, right? And so if that's happening, it's important to assess if you're drinking a lot of fluids before bedtime and can you limit those fluids before bedtime? So it's also important to assess how much volume of urine is coming out. Does it seem like it's a lot of urine? In which case you've probably met the maximum that your bladder can hold. The average bladder can hold 16 to 20 ounces. So if you're feeling like you're urinating that much, it probably means that you're just drinking a lot of fluid and you're having to empty. If you're having overactive bladder, it basically is because the bladder is squeezing before it reaches fullness and you're needing to urinate before it reaches that point. Now, causes of overactive bladder can be neurologic. They can be due to age. In a 40-year-old, probably less likely, but we do see overactive bladder in somewhere around five to 6% of people at that age group. And that continues to increase to up to about 16 to 25% of people who have overactive bladder in their lifetime. In terms of enlarged prostate, we do see an enlarged prostate becoming a problem in younger men who have a family history of it. So if your father had an enlarged prostate, it is genetically passed on in what's called an autosomal dominant fashion, meaning that if your father had it, it's very likely that you're also going to get that gene trait and then you're going to have an enlarged prostate. In fact, people who have genetic versions of BPH will have symptoms even earlier in life and are more likely to either have bothersome symptoms before the age of 60 or even go on to getting surgery for an enlarged prostate. And so in this case, they're not dangerous things unless you're not emptying your bladder well. And that's another cause of why sometimes people wake up early is because they're not emptying their bladder completely. So they go to bed with a half full or third full bladder, and then that fills up more and then they have to empty again. It's important to, if you're having trouble and it's bothering you, please see a urologist to get evaluated. Make sure you're not having infections, you're emptying your bladder well, and then to assess the bother associated with your symptoms. If you're not having infections and you're emptying well, this is more a quality of life issue. And if it's related to fluid intake, it will get better. If it's not related to fluid intake or another medical problem, things like problems with your kidneys, like diabetes insipidus, for example, those things can be treated. But otherwise, if it's an overactive bladder problem or an enlarged prostate problem, those can be more chronic conditions 
that will need management over a period of your life. Ultimately, again, most of the time, these are not dangerous and they're more about quality of life. Hopefully that gives you some reassurance. Very well. And uh, next question is anonymous. Wife has stopped having sex with me and she's saying it's because of the pain down there. She goes to her family doctor and gets her regular checkup, so I don't know what's going on with her. But she tells me she hasn't uh, been diagnosed with anything and she's not having any kind of bleeding or problems peeing. Just pain anytime we have sex. So what should she do? Great question. So pain with sex. First of all, you describe it as pain down there. And I realize that it's a very sensitive issue to talk about, but it's important to identify what do you mean by down there? And when does it hurt? Does it hurt on initial penetration, deep penetration? Does it hurt after sex? And we sort of talked about that earlier, but then determining that part of it and how is the lubrication during intercourse? Is she making enough lubrication? Is she having difficulties with that? Has she gone through menopause? So I will say the number one cause of pain with sex is either inadequate lubrication or inadequate arousal. And those are sort of intertwined. Arousal and lubrication are intertwined, but not always occurring at the same time. So usually people will be aroused and will increase lubrication. But that doesn't mean that if you're not lubricated that you're not aroused. Lubrication can be decreased for a number of different reasons due to things like oral contraceptives, having decreased hormones like during menopause or having surgically induced menopause. And so this can reduce lubrication or just not having enough time to get aroused. So the average woman takes about 20 minutes to get fully aroused. You know, if you're going to have quick sex, which some people do, you need to use lubrication so that it's not uncomfortable. And honestly, lube is so much fun. So try different kinds of lubes. There's water-based lubes, there's silicone-based lubes, there's oil-based lubes. And you can check out my video on lubricants to learn more about it and also check out different options for you. But try them out. Always try them on an area of your body that is not your genitals first to make sure you don't have an allergic reaction to any components of the lubricant. But that's one great thing you can try easily at home. Second thing, common thing that can be a cause of painful sex is high tone pelvic floor dysfunction. Now this is because the muscles of the pelvic floor become short and tense and then they cannot relax appropriately to allow for penetration. And so when this happens, it hurts when you have sex. And so it's very hard for people to realize they have this problem. Just like people get TMJ where they clench their jaw at night and they wake up with headaches, same thing. They can clench their muscles of their pelvic floor all the time and have pain. And so that can be evaluated by, again, a urologist or a pelvic floor physical therapist or a gynecologist to assess the function of your pelvic floor. Also, as I mentioned before about arousal, that 20 minutes, it's important to take that time because what happens is our body prepares for sex. And what that means is the vagina widens and lengthens to almost double its size and the cervix moves up and out of the way. So if you penetrate too early, you may be hitting the cervix, which can cause pain as well. And then lastly, another common cause is going through menopause. So after menopause, which is a period of time where your estrogen decreases, particularly in the vaginal area, this causes a change in the tissues. So what happens is the labia decrease in size, the tissues in the vagina itself become thin and friable in some cases, but mostly thin, and they lose their elasticity. And so then that can make for very uncomfortable sex and also decrease lubrication. A great way to improve that is by using vaginal estrogen. Vaginal estrogen is a hormone-based cream or suppository or ring 
that you put in the vagina that helps basically make those tissues healthier and also improves the thickness of those tissues and the lubrication of those tissues. It's very, very safe. There's never been a reported breast cancer, uterine cancer, or anything with the use of vaginal hormones. Uh, so it's very safe, and most people tolerate it very, very well. You could also try vaginal moisturizers, which are usually made with things like hyaluronic acid, which you can use daily to up to every third day, and there's a host of them on the market. If she's still having pain despite trying all these things, please make sure you see a urologist and get evaluated for causes of pain with sex because there's so many things we can offer to get her to a better quality of life. All right, let's switch it up to food. Does eating different foods really change the flavor of semen? Let's talk about food. Semen is normally alkaline because it has to go through the vagina and the vagina has an acidic pH. And so we need to keep the sperm healthy. So all the fluids in semen, which are made by different organs, comes from not only the testicles, but also the seminal vesicle and the prostate and other structures around there, other glands around there that create what we see as semen. So semen is there to protect and nourish the sperm so they can get to the ovary and create a baby or, or fertilize the egg. And so ultimately, it's that's the reason that semen tastes a little bit bitter because it is alkaline. Now, you can try different foods that may help reduce the alkalinity of the semen that are more acidic. So that's why things like pineapple, for example, have been popularized to increase the sweetness of semen because they're reducing that bitterness. Now, anything that's really acidic may help with that. But it's important to realize that if you eat pineapple on the day of the day you want your semen to taste good, it's not going to work that quickly. It's going to take some time. So while it can decrease the bitterness, it's not going to make it like candy sweet, right? It's just going to decrease the bitterness a little bit. And ultimately, you know, you don't want to overdo it with high sugar foods because that's not going to actually be good for you overall. Just generally having a healthy diet and making sure you're well hydrated will make sure the taste of your semen is optimal. Now, there's a whole host of things you can try to make it taste a little better. But ultimately, I think the most important thing is staying hydrated and having a good, healthy diet. Certain things will make it taste bad. So if you are drinking a lot of coffee, if you're having a lot of alcohol, if you're having a lot of meats, if you're smoking, those things are going to make the taste of semen a little bit more bitter. So ultimately, avoiding those things, keeping a healthy diet, if you enjoy pineapple or you enjoy acidic fruits, go ahead and have them. But realize that those things could also have other negative consequences if you have too much. If you guys enjoyed that AMA and want to hear the rest of it, make sure to check out our premium membership at renamalik.supercast.com, where you can become a premium member, where we answer questions that are asked by only our premium membership. And we give you access to our Friday podcast episodes, both video and audio, early access, as well as the show transcripts. So check it out, renamalik.supercast.com. And as always, remember to take care of yourself because you're worth it.